Sharing the Heart of the Matter podcast, where we bring you talented creatives who inspire you to reach your next level of personal growth. I'm Wynne Leon, and in this episode, I'm with my co-host, Dr. Vicki Atkinson, a musician, writer, blogger, and retired educator, Todd Filginetti. Todd tells us about the great new music he's recorded and released as Jazz on King, Volume 1. Centered on the ongoing gig he has with his two fellow musicians, Dave Winter and Dave Santana, Todd talks about the recording process, the low-stress way they recorded it for themselves, then the step away they took from the project after recording it, and now the release. We find out what it's like to have music as a family affair, since Todd's daughters, Bailey and Allie, both contributed to this album and collaborate with him on their yearly music project to raise money for a good cause. Having an interested curator of our art is always so helpful, so we learn about Bill Speakman, the manager of the live venue where the Fulginetti Trio plays bi-weekly. And then Bill also comes in as a sort of producer for this album. Because Todd is multi-talented and can write as well as he plays, we dig into the blog post he wrote about finding his way to the style of music that he likes to play after years of both practicing and teaching music. He's built on what he learned from his father-in-law to hone a style where less is more. I know you'll be as fascinated and inspired by Todd and his less notes and more space style as we were. We talk about the particulars of trying to make money as a musician, especially in the digital streaming era. Todd fills us in on what licensing and formats require and how that dovetails with performing live. This is a great episode about fantastic music and the interesting and complex choices creatives have to make when releasing their art to the world. We know you'll love it. Hey, Todd. Hey, Wynn. Hi, Vicki. Hey, Vicki and I are so excited to have you on the podcast to talk about the new music that you just released. Uh, you describe it as chilled out jazz and fun retro vibes. Yeah. Um, tell us about the inspiration and the performance, including all the fun you had with one daughter designing the cover and the other singing in the group in French, no less. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, first of all, for having me on. It's great to talk to you guys. And thanks for being interested in, in the new music. So the album is called Jazz on King because in my hometown of Lancaster, PA, there is a really cool club. It's a club music venue, Irish bar. It's a whole bunch of things at once. It's just a great place. And the address of that place is on King Street in Lancaster. So when we play there, they call it Jazz on King. It's like a mini event. And the music that's on the album is a set of music that we would typically play while we're at this venue. It's called Telus 360. So mm. called Jazz on King because it represents the type of stuff that we play when we do those Jazz on King mini events. Mm. And we do those twice a month, the second and fourth Thursdays of the month. Mm. So we've been doing it for about two years, which from a jazz musician point of view, to have a standing gig that long is pretty notable. Right. At least in our area, because a lot of times 
when you get something like that established, it seems like for one reason or another, it always gets cut short after a couple months or whatever. But this has been going on for two years, a little more than two years. So I thought it would be nice just to kind of document the type of stuff we were doing just for our own purposes. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really intending to like to do anything with it. I just wanted it for myself and for the two guys that I play with. And their names, by the way, are Dave Winter and Dave Santana. Two Daves. Two, two Daves. <laughs> yep. Winter. Dave Winter plays piano and Dave Santana plays drums. I thought it would be fun just to go into the studio and record some of the tunes that we like that we do down at TELUS. And when we did that, I mean, I thought it would be fun, but the day that we went in there to do that, it started turning out kind of better than I thought it might. Because I thought we were just kind of like, yeah, do whatever. It's fine. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a sketch. And it started to turn out better than I thought. And then I mm -hmm. thought, well, what if we finished it and just let other people hear it? I mean, no, nobody is under the illusion that we're going to make a million dollars or even cover our losses in recording. That's not generally the way the recording industry works uh, mm -hmm. these days, unless you're, you know, higher up the chain. Mm -hmm. But I just thought it would be fun to complete the project and and share it. So uh, we finally did that. It took a little over a year, um, basically because we just kind of I shelved it at mm -hmm. a certain point. Oh, you wrote so, about that, though. D didn't one of the Daves get yeah. sick? Yeah, mm -hmm. Dave Winter. Well, actually, that day that we recorded, it was it was like late July of last year. Hmm. Just days after that, uh, I found out that that Dave was diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm. Um, I mean, it was it was, I think, semi advanced. So with Dave being out, it just didn't seem as fun or as interesting anymore mm -hmm. to work on that so i mean we had some overdubbing and things to do and all the you know the album art and all the promotion it just didn't seem like a fun interesting mm -hmm. thing to do until we knew when or if dave was going to recover and he did recover and he came back to playing with us in march of this year so i guess he took about six eight months off right um, so when that happened we kind of, we finished it up it's yeah again uh, <laughs> even more fun to memorialize it after he's yeah. returned to health right yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and i love that you you waited for him mm -hmm. um it just it feels right to have done that and and i guess one of the things i wanted to say just real quick just to um acknowledge how amazing it is as a a uh, complete album and listening to everything it you know you describe it as having these retro you know vibes but for me I got and my husband Paul as well this it felt like 50s 60s Palm Springs Rat Pack a little bit of a Bond movie mixed in yeah. and uh, you know listening to it I, I, and you know, I need to go back and listen again but I was like regarding your comment about making money I think you've just written a soundtrack for a movie that needs to be written, right? <laughs> it's like just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. But when you say retro vibes, like all that, you know, and then some, it's just so chill. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thanks. I should say that the reason we picked those tunes to play both on the album and live is that the, the guy who runs the venue tell us he wanted to, he wanted to have jazz, but 
at least in our area, you kind of get two kinds of jazz performances. Mm. You get the kind that people play in restaurants as background music. And mm. I mean, it's fantastic music. It's uh, jazz standards, or they call it the Great American Songbook. Beautiful mm -hmm. song. But everyone plays them pretty much every place that there is jazz. Yeah. Uh, the other avenue is you get these like really intense, fantastic, serious, hardcore jazz players. Mm -hmm. And for me and for jazz fans, that's awesome to listen to. But not everyone's into that. Mm -hmm. So uh, for my mom, for example, when I was in high school living at home and had just started listening to jazz, my mom would hear this music coming from my bedroom and she'd say, <laughs> why is it that? when the song starts it sounds good for like two minutes and then oh. everything goes crazy and <laughs> it doesn't make any sense and, and of course the jazz person's like what are you talking about that's the good stuff but not everybody is really into that yeah. so yeah so and you were playing trumpet when you were practicing in high school yeah well that story is from when i was listening to like to jazz records in my oh bed. okay got it so we didn't want the total dinner music thing. yeah and we didn't want really intense yeah. music that that the non-jazzer is going to turn off because yeah the place we're playing tell us 360 is is not like a jazz club it's yeah. a like i said an irish bar part of its restaurant part of its music venue for rock bands and stuff so it couldn't be it, we were unlikely to be able to establish like a recurring jazz crowd that's going to come and yeah. want to hear that, mm -hmm. you know, heavy yeah. stuff. So Bill Speakman, the TELUS manager, and I, we're, we're good friends. And we share a love of this artist named Shag. I think his mm -hmm. actual name is Josh Agle. Are you familiar with him? Just from where he, you've written about oh, him and kind of the liner notes and stuff. But I'm mm -hmm. I'm intrigued. Yeah. This stuff is so cool. I think we both think, and it kind of creates uh, the visions of things that you were talking about, Vicky, like a little bit of bond, a little bit of people hanging out out West. Everybody's cool. You know, yeah. no one's really worked up. And so the, the playlist for our TELUS gigs is supposed to resemble, like, what if we were in one of those shag paintings? If we, if we were the band in there, what might we play? And oh, and that so, played into the cover art then, right? Yeah. That inspire? Yeah, from that era. Okay. Yeah, I get um, it. Th those those classic jazz records. Some there was a period there. I think it was it late fifties, early sixties. I'm not sure, but they they really used a lot of that kind of cartoonish looking. Yeah. Art, and I thought it was really cool. I just love stuff that comes from that period. So yeah, yeah so that's where the the it artwork comes is. across as like a whole creative you know effort because mm -hmm. it does the and, and I think cover art does matter you want it to add to the music mm -hmm. right and and really set the tone but it, it's beautiful and one of your daughters did that yeah mm -hmm. my younger daughter Allie she painted it and um we were struggling with with what it should look like Allie is a nurse in uh, Towson Maryland which is about an hour and a half south of where I live I mean, she's she's dealing with the heavy duty nursing schedule and she just got a puppy and you Whoa. Know, when, you know, that can add some, yes. some, uh, some chaos. <laughs> and so I wasn't really expecting her to get involved or anything. But since she uh, was into art all through high school and everything, I just asked her opinion on it. And she's like, yeah. well, I could do it. 
So I thought, yeah, I wasn't That's expecting great. that, but I was, I was glad that, yes, because I knew she would, she would understand what were, what the concept was supposed to be. Well, and this makes it a family project, which is even, right. even better. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and my other daughter Bailey, she sings on several tracks. Mm-hmm. Oh, more than two! I only picked up on two, but more than that. Uh, okay. Let me think. She does Aguaji Beber, yeah, Portuguese, uh, Decollage, which is in French. Oh, there's one more. Yeah, uh, we did Charade, and yes. uh, Charade, and so this is a tune that I've played a million times, and I really liked it. Yeah. And just fooling around on YouTube or whatever, I stumbled across the original Henry Mancini recording. I couldn't believe how cool it was with those claves from the beginning. And it was just totally different than than the way I had ever played it and the way most people ever played it. Wow. So I was like, we had to record it like that. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why everyone doesn't play it like that. I mean, Mancini wrote it like that and it sounds yeah. awesome. You do it that way. But anyway, hmm. we were having a problem with that tune. I, I said originally that that we weren't really intending to make this recording to, to share with people. Mm-hmm. So in the studio, we needed a little string sound. So Dave Winter, keyboard player, tries out a couple uh, string patches from his uh, keyboard and we just kind of said, oh, yeah, that one sounds good. It sounded good at the time. And then when we listened back to it, it sounded really cheesy and we didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was it. It was a Dave was undergoing cancer treatments. It's not worth going in to fix that one little thing. Yeah. So uh, talking with Bill Atellis, who uh, he was like part friend, part producer. Uh, he's like, well, what if we replaced the strings with uh, with Bailey singing? And uh, so his oh, idea, he wow. was hearing more of like a Star Trek, you know, how the Star Trek. Yeah. I won't attempt to sing it. But, yeah. you know, that, that mm-hmm. was kind of mysterious, yeah. half opera-ish. Yeah. Very theatrical and dramatic. Mm-hmm. His, a little like, bit of like a whale almost, right? But not, but yeah. real controlled. Yeah. 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 He's like, well, let's bring Bailey in and see if she can do that. So we did. It worked out good. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, in a recent post on Wise and Shine, you you described finding your way to your style and, you know, practicing really technical stuff and then coming back to what you love. And I, I'm wondering how that fits in both with what you play at TELUS and coming up with these tracks. And does that make recording easier? Yeah. Well, it made it made recording a lot easier but I think a lot of that, a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were, when we were recording it, we were just thinking we're doing it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, oh. No one's really going to hear this, you know, yeah. members, but we're going to listen to it. And when we're, you know, 90 years old and can't play anymore, we can listen to this and tell our kids, hey, our grandkids, here's something that yeah. a grandpa used to do when he could get out of his chair. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so really not much thought or like not much stress went into it, which turned yeah. out to be really good. But as far as as playing in general, I mean, like I wrote in that blog piece, I, I struggle a little bit with it because, you know, like when you start playing an instrument at school, your goal is always to get better and to play more challenging material and to like, you know, raise yeah. the bar. And 
I didn't really start playing jazz or trying to learn how to play it until college and, and mostly afterwards. And so when you're looking for that, you're kind of continuing that path. How do I get better and do more challenging things? Mm-hmm. Uh, you come ag- up against some like really hard music. <laughs> and so yeah. I was working on that stuff and I like it, but I guess after a period of years, I realized that, that I just don't love those styles as much as I love playing a different way. Mm-hmm. So, so I tend to play less notes and mm-hmm. add more space and play more melodically. Whereas mm-hmm. um, say, you know, some other players are in different jazz styles. They'll be all up and down the chords, zipping all over the place. Mm-hmm. And um, over time, I learned that that's, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, when I have to do it, I still practice and, and do it, but it's, it's not the way I naturally play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said for less notes and more space, whether it's less, notes or less words sometimes you have to leave more space yeah Yeah. my my father-in-law uh oddly enough used to play trumpet and (laughs) that's crazy (laughs) well he he's the one who really first introduced me to jazz and improvising because we were talking about that at my high school so i started dating my wife when we were both in ninth grade and i would go down to her house and she would go away. I don't know what happened, but I would be hanging out <laughs> with my father-in-law and he'd, he'd kind of give me um, informal trumpet lessons on improvising and introducing me to all these great jazz trumpet players that I had never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess I hung out with my then girlfriend at some point. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, I know, um, I'm, t- I'm so sorry. I just had to like really laugh out loud about you went to talk to him about Trump and she disappeared. I'm like, wow, yeah. way to hang in there, Todd. I know. She's, I mean, that was just one of several times she should have dumped me, but I'm glad she never did. <laughs> Clearly it all worked out. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. But one of the things that, that my father-in-law would always say is less is more. Um, uh-huh. And he's right, you know, so he listened to some of those great uh, Miles Davis records from his cool period. He wasn't like... There, were, there weren't a zillion notes all over the place. There were a few perfectly selected notes. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love Chet Baker and he kind of plays mm-hmm. you know, sparsely. So, um, but okay, saying all that and saying that I love this type of music is still a step away from embracing uh, doing it yourself. Because at least it was for me, because in my head, there's always, well, well, you should do something harder. You should do something more challenging. And yeah. the focus... I think because we're raised from such a young age as players to try to be as technically good as you can be, it took me a while to fully embrace the idea that you can do something not technical and that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not it sounds good or is good art or is is good music. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think Wynn and I have been talking recently about, you know, what it means to be creative and to allow yourself to be kind of the ultimate critic and give yourself all the liberty. And it's starting with the origination and the creation, you know, not thinking about who the intended audience might be beyond just those that are involved in the creation. So I think there's such power in that. Um, but I, I imagine it was hard for you because you, you know, have a, a tremendous career, you know, as an educator of music. So in my mind, I always think a musician has to really know their stuff, right, to be a teacher. 
but for you to find your way and say it's it's not about ratcheting things up with difficulty it's about being true to your musical heart yeah that's yeah a good way to say it. yeah yeah wow and i love that you had someone like bill you know, who's sort of like a producer, a, you know, venue owner, all of that, who's giving you feedback, you know, about what to do with that one particular track. But when we love it, when that comes and someone says, I received it, mm-hmm. I took it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the worst part is when we don't get feedback yeah. about yeah. whatever our creative pursuit is, right? I mean, that's we right. we need to, it, that's how we grow yeah. um, is, mm-hmm. is, is figuring out how how it lands for other people. Yeah. 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 And that's one right. of the things with this. Um, we mentioned this in another conversation, but you know, when you when you make something, whether it's write a blog post or a book or mm-hmm. make a, a release music, whatever it is, you want people to engage with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that but that's that can be yeah. hard. You know, mm-hmm. people have other things to do. There's a million other things that they could be engaging with. And now you're asking for a little bit of their attention so Mm -hmm. that they could give you some of the feedback that you, that you uh, need or, or want, you know, but like it's, there's no fun cooking a meal if no one's going to eat it. Mm -hmm. Oh, hey there. (laughs) Oh yeah. No fun creating something if no one's going to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. But then the question is, well, how are you going to get them to pay attention to it? amongst everything else that there is in the world. Right. And for me, that's where the fun ends. The fun (laughs) is making the thing, making the music. And then the rest of it is just straight work. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy, even, even for someone who releases the the product on their own, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still a lot of work to try to get people to pay attention to it. That's a great segue into how did you decide how to release it? Because there's so yeah. many avenues that you can use. What, what went into well, your decision factors there? Because you've released right. it on your website and on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, basically it's all financial. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, um, that's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ease and finances. So yeah. It's so easy right now to release music on your own. There's companies like CD Baby, basically do-it-yourself distributors. Mm -hmm. And so you just submit your stuff to them and you go through their process uh, all online. And then they release the music for you digitally to, pardon me, to all the platforms that basically, that, that people generally use, like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, all that stuff. So and that way it's it's easy. Um, it takes a little bit of time, but it doesn't cost much money. And in my case, since only one of the songs is something that I wrote, I'm using other people's music. So you have to pay uh, royalties for that. And um, but if you're if you do streaming only, which is what this recording is right now, there was an agreement between the record companies and the streaming services that the the person making the music no longer has to pay for that the they don't have to pay the royalties the streaming company will pay it so that makes so it's basically easy and cheap to release cover music on your own Hmm. same deal if it's your own music you're not you don't have to pay anybody to do that Um, so yeah Uh, the problem is then you know like so many people listen to music streaming Mm -hmm. but um i i still like having 
a physical I'm an album guy. I still yeah. albums. I still have them. I still yeah. like CDs, but not as much as albums. So mm -hmm. um, it's and I, I like I like that you get the cover art. You can put liner. In it. I like the whole experience of yeah. having that CD or album. Um, but I just haven't. Uh, I need to. I need to reassess whether or not it's financially a smart idea to invest mm -hmm. in those things, seeing mm -hmm. as. Most people don't listen to CDs anymore. Mm -hmm. They're cheap. Mm -hmm. They're cheaper and easier to do. But vinyl is like the really cool thing. But that's expensive. And how many people are buying vinyl? And if you know, if you get X amount of vinyl made, you're going to have to charge about the same amount to break even as like maybe Taylor Swift charges for her record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying Taylor Swift record. You know? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so it's 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 financially uh tricky yeah so at this point we're just doing streaming because it's it's cheap and easy and the downside of that is you don't really make any money off of it i think the average musician makes yeah about i think it's 0.3 cents a stream they mm -hmm. have all these different ways of figuring what a stream pays the bottom line is it hardly pays anything so again if you're like bruno mars or someone like that you make a zillion dollars but the average person who would typically um, the average person in a small market like like I am, who would put out music and then maybe sell albums or CDs at their gigs, mm -hmm. uh, we're in a tough spot because albums are are pricey mm -hmm. and CDs aren't really desired. So if you want people to hear your music, your best option, unfortunately, is to do streaming and accept the fact that you are unlikely to to you know to really. Yeah anything more than you know enough to buy yourself a burrito yeah. Yeah. which is yeah. really troublesome you know because it's how do you sustain the creative energy right mm -hmm. because it eventually yeah. it becomes that and it's an, another thing that when and I keep circling back to because you want people that that have all that talent and goodness within to never feel that it's a worthless pursuit, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. Or that, you know, in a, the balance sheet of it all, that you don't come out ahead, whatever that means, you know, mm -hmm. good experience or financially. But I, that's a, it's a, you're going to give me a lot to think about for a while, Todd, because that, that's a bothersome thing, mm -hmm. right? About how do you continue to mm -hmm. do it and not, not lose faith? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a rough time for like, uh, for music recording, but the money for musicians now is, is like is live gigs. Mm -hmm. It used okay. to be several years ago. Um, I mean, at one point, it seemed like people were less interested in live music because they wanted recorded music. And mm -hmm. now it seems like that's kind of turning around again, mm -hmm. which is good. Um, like even even people like Prince, um, he really... I'm a giant Prince fan, mm -hmm. but later in his life, after not, I think it was after not touring for a little while, he started doing all kinds of like major uh, tours again. And I think part of the reason was, is that's where all the money is. Mm -hmm. At least, I mean, you know, now that's Prince's scale versus your, your typical yeah. local musician scale. But the, the idea is still the same. You're going to get paid by playing live more so than, than for your recorded music. Mm -hmm. But to your question of why do we why do we do it um for this at least i go back to that idea of we've been doing this the daves and i have been doing this for a couple years and we really like 
the concept that Bill Speakman and I came up with, and I just want to have some record of it. So no pun intended. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would like to have an actual vinyl record of it. But anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yes. Maybe yes. just press one of them. Just yeah. Press one, yeah. Well, when and I would um, like one. How about three? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I, I think of it sometimes as like a yearbook page. You know, yeah. you look at your yearbook and oh, here's that picture of the time I went out for the soccer team. Yeah. So, you know, but it's so oh, much here's, more. Here's the recording of that stuff we did. Right. Yeah. But it's so much more than just a photograph because you're literally memorializing something and, you know, thinking about, you know, the Dave and his health scare. Mm -hmm. I was so glad that he's doing well. But yeah, how do you capture that for all time? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and what you're talking about is how is such a interesting balance for creative people. You know, how do you balance those live performances versus recording things versus writing? Um, yeah. How have you found it? any balance in that yeah i mostly i mostly play live mm -hmm. um, i've only done i record a lot on other people's projects as a side person mm -hmm. um, you know they'll want a trumpet solo here or they um they'll want a horn section so a couple of us come together and, and do that but the only times i've recorded stuff on my own uh, has besides this record um, was I think five or six years ago, right before COVID. I have um, a traditional jazz band mm. called uh, Cat's Pajamas Old School Jazz Band. Mm. Some, some people call it Dixieland uh, music. So we, we did that. We did uh, a CD there. And that was like right at the tail end of like when CDs were starting to really tank. So, um, you know, so we sold a bunch of them and um, we we were playing a bunch of gigs then and, and it was easy to sell them at shows and stuff like that. And... I don't know. We just together, there's six of us in that group. So we just decided it would be fun and we just kind of did it. I don't know if that a whole lot of thought beyond that went into it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the other stuff that I recorded is, um, is with my, I call it the family band, my, mm -hmm. my two daughters and, uh, the one daughter's boyfriend. Every year we record a holiday song and we use the money. We use it as a fundraiser and then we give that money to a, a charity group. Usually we get a guy who helps the homeless uh, in, in our hometown of Lancaster, mm -hmm. but that's an easy one because there you're just, we're always going to do that unless the girls tell me they're not doing that with me anymore. Um, <laughs> assuming we stay cohesive. Yeah. We're going to do that every year because yeah. uh, that's about something more important than just making mm -hmm. excuses for trying to, to build community and help people. Yeah. Um, as far as this record and the uh, cat's pajamas one, I mean, it's just we're we're just doing something that we love and we want to share it with people in a different way. And we hope they'll pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That under the undercurrent of all of that, it's focus on the fun, mm -hmm. right? And bringing people yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's right. Tell us what's next on your creative journey. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have a lot of performances over the holiday season. Yeah, well, I guess I think this is, you know, it's funny when you ask me that question, I'm realizing that I think of, of a creative journey as something separate than just like playing live gigs. Mm. And I guess I that's gotcha. probably not accurate. I probably shouldn't think of it that way, but that's the way it struck me. Mm -hmm. So when you say, what's on my next creatively, I'm thinking, well, you know, I have this list of 
a literal list of other projects I'd like to record and ideas I'd like to do, but eh, that's for a little bit later, you know? Um, but I didn't, I mean, you're right. Playing live is that's creative. I guess I just take it for granted because I mm -hmm. do it. I mean, I'm lucky to be able to do it a lot. Mm -hmm. So um, like this weekend, I, th I think I have six or seven things that I'm playing and uh, you know, mm -hmm. every, Whoa, whoa, December, whoa, wait, stop. One weekend? Six yeah. or seven things? Yeah, that's a little more than whoa. one. But like, I mean, you know, I try to stay busy like that all, all year. Uh, the holiday season is definitely amped up. But, you know, because I, it helps to be versatile. So I play a whole bunch of different styles. I have, I have a bunch, I have maybe, I don't know, I have several of my own groups little groups that i put together that each have a different style or serve a different purpose and then i freelance a lot so i've been lucky that i've been able to stay busy for a while and it's mm -hmm. especially when i quit my teaching job which i did in 2019 it just so i i got lucky that i was able to get busier doing music to help you know um wipe away yeah. the fact that i just walked away from my salary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's fun, but you're right, Wayne. I'm glad you asked the question uh, that way because, I mean, uh, anytime you're doing a jazz gig, it's all creative all the right. time. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think so if some of the it doesn't strike me as creative, I guess right away because sometimes you're just playing a part, mm -hmm. like the notes are there and that's what you're playing, mm -hmm. and that's fun. And it's I don't know, it, yeah, I, that just didn't hit me as creative though because if we're playing whatever pop song and the trumpet part goes how it goes, you play that and there's no real creativity in that. Oh my gosh. You're, you're... I still enjoy that. I still like it, but it's not the same as like just getting with a bunch of people and saying, Hey, let's, let's make something happen here out of, out of nothing. That's, you know, mm -hmm. that's, but you know. your, your humility and your level of humbleness right you you said that but preceded it with just i'm just gonna right that, oh, well. yeah i'm, I'm just gonna uh, well. play the notes that are there i'm just gonna like do six or seven gigs in a weekend i'm just i'm like oh my gosh well ah. like i said i mean I, I feel i'm fortunate to be able to do that and mm -hmm. i don't know how long that's going to last i don't know yeah. how long people will be interested in booking my groups or how long people will will want me to freelance or play with theirs. And so uh, a friend of mine used to say, we just ride the train till the wheels fall off. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing. And I'm just like, it's not like I'm playing stadiums or anything. I'm just a local guy in Lancaster playing in my region and, you know, trying to have play the best music, have the most fun with the people I'm with and, you know, eke out a living. <laughs> that's great. And yeah. I, I got to say, I, Love your album. Um, I encourage anybody listening to this to check it out. And to yep. check it out, they can listen to it on Spotify, Amazon Music. We're on Apple now. I took Apple. care of that issue. <laughs> they can go to your website, toddbuginetti.com, yes. and yes. we'll put all of those in the show notes, plus the cool. links to the post, the blog post that you've written about it. Because not only Thanks. do you play music, but you also write beautifully. So Thanks, here, here. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on, Todd. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's great talking to you guys. Ditto. So Yay. Yay. Thank you.
thank you for listening. Our music is composed for sharing the heart of the matter by the exquisitely talented duo of Jack Canfora and Rob Koenig. For show notes and more great inspiration, please visit our site at sharingtheheartofthematter.com. Thank you.